And I'll turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2. First 20 verses, and the text for the sermon is verse 14. In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee from the town of Nazareth to Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, as it had been told them. Congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, we just read that the angels proclaimed peace on earth. And when we look around us, we don't see a lot of peace, do we? The world is full of war and strife. We also often do not experience peace, do we? There's a lack of peace. We see it maybe in the workplace, boys and girls, you experience it at school. It's not always peace between all the children and the groups of children, is there? We see it in the church, we see it even in our own families. And this lack of peace is the direct result of the fall into sin of our first parents, Adam and Eve. And since the fall, there has been a war going on, a war between God and Satan, And we are caught up in that cosmic battle. 
After the fall, God declared there would be enmity between the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman, between the children of God and the followers of Satan. And we are part of that cosmic battle. And you find this enmity, this this cosmic struggle, reflected in the lives and the stories of God's people. You also find God's people praying for and longing for the promised victory. While God declared there would be enmity, he also promised there would be an ultimate victory for his people. And the longing for that victory is also reflected in the stories of God's people. The Apostle Peter tells us that the Old Testament prophets who predicted the salvation and the victory of God, that they searched and they inquired carefully how this would eventually come about. And many of the things they predicted, they did not fully understand those things themselves. But what they spoke did come true. And their longing, congregation, and our desire for peace has been answered. The message of Christmas is that God has already won the battle because the Prince of Peace has come. And even though the enmity between the children of God and the followers of Satan continues to rage, we have every reason to be encouraged. Jesus Christ has secured the final victory. The battle has already been secured. The final outcome has been secured. And that's the message that the angel gave to the shepherds in the fields of Bethlehem. That's the message that was brought by this heavenly host. That's the theme for the sermon. At the birth of the Christ, the angels proclaim God's triumphant victory. We'll see that this victory brings glory to God and it brings peace on earth. For the shepherds near the fields of Bethlehem, it was just another night, wasn't it? A day of tending the flocks. They brought the sheep back to the shelter and they were going to enjoy some rest like any other night. But God had something special planned for this night. This night was to bring about the climax of the battle between God and Satan. It would prove to be Satan's undoing. He had been trying to thwart God's plan ever since the beginning of the world. Nothing would please him more than the destruction of the seed of the woman who was to crush his head. But he tried again and again. Oh, how he tried. The vision that John received in Revelation 12 gives us a bird's eye view, so to speak, of world history. This vision shows how Satan, described as the great red dragon, is ready to devour the child of the woman. And the woman in this picture represents the church, and the child is Jesus Christ. But the child escapes the clutches of this great red dragon, And throughout the history of God's people, it is evident that Satan did come close to achieving his goals. Many times during the history of God's people, Satan must have thought that he had almost won the battle. He almost succeeded in destroying God's people. And that was his aim. If If he could destroy God's people, then he could thwart God's purposes then the Christ would not be born. And that started already right after the fall into sin. Adam and Eve lost their only believing son, Abel, after Cain killed him. But then God gave them another son, Seth, 
who carried on the line from which Christ would be born. And when that plan didn't work, Satan enticed the sons of God to marry the daughters of men. And that plan succeeded so well that after a while, Noah was the only righteous man left on earth. And after the flood, the Lord had to intervene again. After men tried to stick together at the Tower of Babel. Later, God chose Abraham out of all the families of the earth to to bring his blessings to the nations. And again, Satan tried to thwart God's plan by having the nation of Israel destroyed, enticing Pharaoh to kill all the baby Hebrew boys in Egypt. He tried again at Mount Sinai, enticing Israel to worship the golden calf. He continued to do whatever he could to destroy the Old Testament church by enticing them to rebel against God, to worship Baal, to worship Molech, to worship the Ashtaroth, gods of the pagan nations. Later he tried to destroy the house of David when Athaliah, the queen mother in Judah, the daughter of Jezebel, tried to kill all the royal children. But little Joash was rescued by his pious aunt Jehoshaphat. And so he continued the line of David. And then when God's people were exiled in Babylon, he tried again. He tried to have all the Jews killed during the time of Queen Esther. Time and time again, he tried to ensure that the Prince of Peace would not arrive. But he failed again and again. And congregation, this great cosmic battle has been going on since the time of Genesis chapter 3. And down through the centuries, God was working towards the day when that scripture calls the fullness of time. The time which he had determined would be the climax of the battle. The time when Satan's defeat would be fixed and guaranteed. And the angel who had spoken to the shepherd said, fear not. Fear not, because I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. What a day. And what incredible news, isn't that? Such great news. Such great news that the angel was was joined by a host of angels who proclaimed the glory of God. You see, the angels were waiting for this day too. Peter tells us that what the prophets foretold, angels longed to see. Like God's people, they also waited in great expectation of of the fulfillment of God's promise to Adam and Eve. The angels are are servants of God. They stand around his throne. They are his attendants. They, They knew about this plan of salvation, as is evident from the words of the angel Gabriel. When he spoke to Joseph, you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So they too, they kept track of the time. They watched God at work. In fact, they were intimately involved with God's work. They carry out God's word. They obey his word. They do his will. And the scriptures call them the ministering angels, ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who inherit salvation. They serve both God and God's children in the great cosmic battle with Satan. And that's why they are called the heavenly host. 
The Old Testament often refers to the Lord as the Lord of hosts. That means that God is the God of an army. The heavenly host is God's army, equipped to serve him and to fight in this great cosmic battle. These are the same hosts with which Jesus referred to when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. He told Peter to put up his sword. And he said to him, Do you think I cannot appeal to my father? And he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? Congregation, the heavenly host that the shepherds saw are the same angels that went to war against Satan. Michael and his angels, they fought against the dragon. They defeated him. And that, that dragon was thrown down because there was no place for him anymore in heaven. And I know that <clears throat> often when we think of the angels above the fields of Bethlehem, we think of a choir, don't we? That's usually what comes to mind. But this was no mere choir congregation. This was a victorious army. And this army knew firsthand of Satan's defeat. And they knew the outcome of the battle. That's why the angel could say, fear not, for I bring you good news. Satan, Satan's defeat has been assured. The Christ child is born. The Savior of the world, the one who has come to deliver his people. Glory to God in the highest. For he has accomplished his work. His plan of salvation is moving forward. The Son of God has come into the world to take away the sins of his people. The fullness of time has come. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And the devil cannot claim the world as his own. And earth will never be the same again. The head of the serpent is about to be crushed. Glory to God in the highest. Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. That's what we read from Revelation 12. And so this heavenly army praised God for the greatest victory in the history of God's revelation and the history of his people. Glory to God in the highest. And we might ask, well, how can an army proclaim peace? Did not Jesus come to put an end to war? And the prophet Micah, which we read, from which we read, makes a reference to this very thing, congregation. Speaking of the one who was to be born in Bethlehem, he says that this one will be the shepherd of his people, giving them security and to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. And then he explains how this shepherd will bring about this peace. He speaks of the Assyrians coming into the land. And he says, the shepherd shall deliver us when he comes into our land. How? By defeating the Assyrians. The point is, congregation, peace only comes through warfare. Peace only comes by war and battle. Not by compromise, but through the destruction of the enemy. Think of Psalm 2, which speaks of the Lord dashing his enemies in pieces like a potter's vessel. This is what the shepherd Messiah is going to do and will do. This is what he has done. This Christ took his stand against Satan and sin. In the desert, after his baptism, he defeated Satan. He took his stand against Satan and he defeated him. 
And all his life he took his stand against sin. And he took his stand also as our substitute, as the Lamb of God, taking God's anger. And he fought the desire to give up that stand. He fought the desire to let the cup of suffering pass by. He chose to carry on even though he knew it would cost him everything. And he won that battle too. He never let temptation take him down. He never gave in to the temptation to be free from his task. And he won all his battles. And then he won the war. Jesus is the exalted king, the exalted Christ, the Lord most high. And we are his sheep, and he is our good shepherd. And so, congregation, your battles are his battles. He has won the war, but the enemy is still on the battlefield. Satan has been thrown out of heaven. He has been defeated, but his army is still lingering on earth for a time. And so there are still battles to be fought. But our shepherd, he knows our circumstances. He understands our battles and our life. And so he can help because he is our shepherd. He is a powerful king. And he is the one through whom we have peace with God. You see, congregation, he did not come to bring us peace from our battles, but peace in our battles, and even through our battles, but only if we battle on relying on him. In our world, we are constantly making attempts at peace, aren't we? We want peace, peace amongst the nations. We want peace in the church, peace in our families. But no matter how well we do at trying to make these kinds of peace, we will never discover Peace until we discover peace with God. That's the story of peace in the Gospel of Luke. In fact, in, to, in, in all of Scripture. Peace comes to our life only through the intervention of God. Because left to ourselves, we are alienated from God. We're indifferent to Him. We break His law. And often we decide to fix the, the lack of peace in our own way. We try to find peace in our own way. We're trying to find peace or contentment in possessions or in a bottle or an artificial high or by parading our righteousness before others or by satisfying our sinful lust or trying to control our lives and our situations. But these things do not bring peace. They enslave us. And by doing these things, we can never give glory to God, the glory that's due to him. We can only give him glory if we discover the peace that he provides. And so, brothers and sisters, all of us listening today must make haste, just like the shepherds did. If you have not yet discovered that peace, then don't wait a moment longer. The shepherds didn't wait for days either to check out what the angels said was true or not. They heard, here is one who is breaking into the world, into our time. And their reaction was immediate belief. Let us go and see what the Lord has made known to us. And so they made haste and they went. 
Many of us hear the gospel Sunday after Sunday. Sunday after Sunday, we are confronted with the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And how many of us walk out of church sometimes thinking, well, I'll get to that later. I don't have time for that right now. But if you have struggled with this your whole life, don't waste another moment. Not even one minute. And young people, don't wait to commit your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't wait until tomorrow. Because tomorrow may be too late. Make haste. You have heard and seen what the Lord has made known to you. Unto you is born this day in the city of David, the Savior, Christ the Lord. And this message is directly related to your lack of peace, your discontent, your lostness, your dysfunction, your sin, your rebellion. So do not tempt the Lord and do not put his love to the test. Do not take his grace for granted, but make haste. The shepherds came with haste and they discovered peace. They discovered the Lord Jesus. And when God opens your eyes and softens your heart, you will do as the shepherds did. You will proceed directly to the place where you can meet him. And that is going to the throne of God. Bowing before his majesty, casting yourself upon the grace and the love of God and of your Savior. And that means, my dear friends, that means that we are willing to be disciples of the Prince of Peace. Willing disciples. That means that we are willing to follow him. To be like him. To be humble. To be a servant. To be willing to be the least in the kingdom of heaven. To be willing to be the least in your relationships. A disciple of the Prince of Peace is quick to confess guilt, quick to admit wrong, quick to ask for forgiveness, eager to consider the needs of others more important than one's own. A disciple of the Prince of Peace strives to live in peace with all. What kind of a reputation do you have? It's a good question to ask yourself. Do I leave peace in my wake as I sail through life? Or is your life just a litany of broken relationships? Are others blessed because they know you? Because you bring peace and tranquility with you wherever you go? Does the peace of Christ flow through you to others, to your family? to your friends, to your children, to your parents. Dear congregation, surrender your life to the Prince of Peace. Only then will you gain peace in your own life. And the more you surrender your life to the Prince of Peace, the more you will also experience peace in your heart and in your life. And then also, God will be more glorified by how you live. Surrender to the Prince of Peace. And you know where to find him.
You know where to find him. You have heard him speak through his word again. And he is seeking a place in your heart and your life. Let him fill the emptiness. Let him fight your battles. Because in him, victory is absolutely sure. And look to him to fight your temptations and your doubts. Make room for him in your life. Because he is calling out to you. So make haste to find the Prince of Peace. Accept his offer of peace. And you will have peace with God today and forever. Amen.